Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. The river ran angry that day, with water raging loud at the sun for burning it off the peaceful granite slopes of the high Sierra. Falling into a spring melted, tumbled down, flowing as something altogether different through the pine canyon, flowing cold and fierce. Even with the river talking to her, telling, Elizabeth never could have predicted. In all her circular thinkings and imaginings, her mind never conceived of such a day. She didn't yet know a man could turn like that. This is G.P. Gottlieb, host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. And today I'm speaking with author Wendy Vorsanger about her novel, Prospects of a Woman. This is a book about a timid wife who's forced by the harsh circumstances of 1850s Gold Rush, California, to become strong and determined. Regardless of the conventions of the day, Elizabeth is resolved to survive and thrive no matter who disappoints her or what the world flings at her, raging fires, thieving bandits, or disloyal men. She's not the little lady we've seen in previous Western books and movies, but rather an example of the kind of real pioneer woman needed in that difficult time and place. Hi, Wendy. Thanks for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So can you tell the story of how you came to write this novel? Yes, you know, I grew up in California and uh, we have to learn the fourth grade. You have to learn about California history. And my boys got to that grade and women were essentially missing from their curriculum. It was almost like we weren't here in California at 1850. So that really frustrated me because I... um, I knew that from the women in my family and my sisters and my, my, my mother and my in-laws and generations back, I knew that they were here and I knew that um, they were certainly a part of helping build the West. So I went about learning everything I can about, could about women in California. And I realized that we were here and we made a pretty extraordinary contribution. Yeah. Um, how did you create the old Western writing style? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, when I got my MFA, I was, I studied, um, Cormac McCarthy and I am a huge fan of his language, sort of that idiosyncratic, um, tone that he, he sort of, uh, comes up with in each of his books. And I felt like early California, uh, was so unusual because people were coming here, from all over the world. There wasn't a particular dialect. Um, well, there was Spanish, right? Um, but other than that, it was really a melting pot of people coming from all over the world. And I think I needed to have um, a language um, that sort of set readers in the place and time of California 1850. And I had read a lot of diaries a lot of firsthand sort of writings of early California. And I sort of settled on um, 
on this because there was almost like a shorthand language in the way people would communicate. So yeah, I, I have adverbs where I have no LY. That is the idiosyncratic tone that I triangulated on. It was interesting. So the beauty and sweeping landscapes of Northern California are not just the backdrop for the story, but almost like a character, one about which you are passionate. Am I mistaken? Uh, no, that's so correct. I'm so glad that you that you sort of picked up on that. So my novel takes place on the American River, and specifically on the North Fork of the American River, which is a very rugged place. There's three forks on the American and the North um, is a very steep, rugged Canyon with um, pine trees sort of going through the foothills and into the lower Sierra Nevada mountains. And I, I do think that I intentionally created the river itself as its own sort of character with its own personality and sort of um, pressure and influence upon the characters in my novel. So I really appreciate that you picked up on that. The mm. energy of the river itself and the unique characteristics of it, I feel is uh, quintessentially California. You know, it's, it's very uh, blue and rugged and um, dangerous and also gentle at the same time and unpredictable in so many ways. And um, in prospects of a woman, my main character, Elizabeth, is very influenced by the energy of the river. Yeah, she is. Life's fragility in 1850s California is an ongoing theme. Can you say more about that? Life's fragility. Yeah, I think so. It was, a, it was, it was tough, right? It was, it was, um, it took a certain kind of person to, uh, especially a woman, um, I think women in early California had an exceptional fortitude. They were willing to sort of stumble and pick themselves back up again and reinvent and pivot. Um, I think that's the same now as it was in 1850. Um, and what's really unique, I, I, I want to make a point about this. What's really unique about California women in 1850 is they had rights granted to them that women in no other state had. So in the constitutional convention in 1849, the men had a very long discussion about, should we give women rights? And they basically agreed, yes, we should, we should give them property rights and we should let them uh, buy and sell property and make contracts. And women in no other state uh, were able to do that at the time. And it gave women sort of an agency and a power and a value that they they did not know before arriving to California. So women in California actually um, had lots of choices based on the fact that they could own property and um, buy and sell property and make contracts. And then very quickly in 1850, by county, um, counties were allowing divorce and they were allowing women to keep custody of their children which was also another element that lent itself to them realizing power that they didn't have in the societies that they left. So although life was, you know, uh, physically rough, right? Because there was not a lot of infrastructure in 1850 women came out here and had to really help build things, you know, help, help build a new fast growing society. Um, and that was, you know, somewhat dangerous in the sense that, um, you know, there was wilderness and it was quite rugged, but they themselves, women were actually prized and valued. They were not in 
a particular great danger, which mm. I think is that goes against the myth mythology of the West, right? Of men as saviors, women as helpless and needing men to sort of protect them economically and physically. Um, that was not the case with women in California. And I, I think most people are not aware of that. Except that what about the women who are Californios? How, how did you say that in the book? Those yeah, Californios. Who, yeah. So they must have, men and women of those of that group didn't have rights. Can you talk about that? Well, okay. So yeah, yes and no. So we actually, as California women, have the Californios to thank actually for the foundational um, r- women's rights that, that we have because at the, at the California Constitutional Convention in 1849, about a third of the constitutional um, conventional delegates were Californios. And they argued very strongly to continue their um, laws for women. So uh, the Spanish arrived in California in 1776, and in, they brought their laws of Spain with them, which were not the laws of England. So they highly valued women owning property, and it was in their best interest to continue that when California came into the union in 1850. They wanted their women to continue to own land, be able to run the farms, their sisters, daughters, mothers, wives. Um, so they are predominantly the ones that we have to thank. And then the Americans argued, well, we'll give them rights. We'll give these women rights because we want them to come here. So it's going to be the biggest draw to bring women um, West. So, so initially, um, you know, women and Californians did have rights, but then after a time, there was this, you know, big schemes to take away all of the very wealthy land from the Californios. And that was a terrible historical tragedy in our state. So that was very challenging for them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The Americans went systematically taking away their ranches by, you know, d- demanding particular paperwork, deeds and sorts of things like that, that they didn't actually have because <laughs> they were here. They'd been here 150 years. Uh, they didn't have the particular paperwork that the Americans wanted to prove that they owned the, you know, thousands of acres that they did. So and they the Americans- took the land. They took the land from the Native American population. That's correct. Yeah. So they came and uh, the genocide of the span of um, at the hands of the you know, the Spaniards of the Native Americans also, we, we need to talk about that because that was a also a big stain on California's history. Well, all over the country, it wasn't only California. Yeah. What's interesting is that we, um, we were rather late in sort of the, um, in terms of, you know, our Native American population was thriving for a very long time in California, while on the East Coast, there was all sorts of genocide happening in California, it mostly it wasn't happening until later. So uh, we have, we still have the the most diverse Native American population in California, the most tribes. Mm-hmm. Um, although homosexuality was certainly part of the human condition back then in 1850, it's not much written about. So how was it to plunk a gay character into that time and place? Right. Yeah, you know, I had done so much research um, on Highway 49. We have a highway out here in California called Highway 49, and that was for the 49ers. That's what they were called, um, the miners, the gold miners that came out in 1849. 
And it's a beautiful highway that goes through all these little tiny mining towns. And I spent a lot of time with my boys when they were young on the, in the sort of going around doing research, going to little museums and bookstores. And I stumbled upon lots of information about gay life in the diggings. And it wasn't, um, you know, totally out, but it was fairly common more in the Southern mines, sort of over down by Yosemite, Sonoma area. Um, and, you know, I think very much like women, men came here and realized that outside of the rigid class structure of the East coast, they had, you know, they were afforded a, a level of sort of freedom that they wouldn't have been able to, um, experience in sort of a close rigid society in many of the cities that they came from in the East. And part of that was just the wilderness itself. Right. But I had come across lots of, um, photographs, you know, and, uh, illustrations that were very surprising to me. And I thought, well, darn it, that makes perfect sense because it didn't, you know, gay life in California didn't just show up in the sixties. Right. <laughs> um, what in her upbringing gives Elizabeth the strength to overcome her disappointment in both her father and her husband? Ah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I feel like perhaps if she had stayed on the East coast, she might not have had the strength. Um, I feel like, uh, California forces women, I think today and, and, you know, back then to sort of make it or break it kind of thing. Like you need to, um, you need to buckle up, you need to get with it. You need to, you know, um, move on. You need to have, a, you need to have strength. It's not for, um, people who are weak, you know, it's, um, it'll just spit you out. So in my mind, it, I don't, think she would have maybe gotten over it, her disappointments, but I think California was offering her a new opportunity and a new framework that she could imagine something different. So she wasn't just wallowing in her disappointment. She was looking for opportunity and then grabbing it where she could find it. And it wasn't just economic independence. It was what is happiness? What does that look like for me? And it wasn't maybe what she thought it would have been on the East coast. And I think many, many women actually, um, you know, I had a dinner party one time with a ton of my friends, like 20 women. We were all around the table. And I, I said, how many of you were born here? And only like two women around the table were born in California. And I asked each one of them, how would your life have been different if you hadn't come here? And without, without a doubt, every single one of them described in great detail how their life was different after having come to California. And that was very illuminating to me because I was like, yep, that's true. That's definitely true. Um, can you address the theme of Elizabeth's hunger in the book? It's And not just for food. Mm. You're talking about the sex, right? A little bit. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. When I wrote this book, I um, it just that element of it, of women wanting, right? Um just seemed so normal and natural to me. And I don't know if it's because I, as I said before, my boys are seventh generation Californian. So my, our family has been here for a very long time. And there is a, there's a similarity in the women that I know there are Californians and in, in my family, which is like more like 
okay, what's the next thing? Like, what's the evolution? What's the pivot? What's the more? And I don't know where that comes from. It's almost like a hunger is maybe a good way to put it, which is, um, that's framing it. I think the way that I felt when I was writing it and it, when I was writing the women and, and when I was writing Elizabeth, that just felt very natural to me because it's, it's what I see around me. It's what I read about women, um, you know, who came out here early. Like for instance, I, I oftentimes women would come to California with a husband and they would kind of look around and say, well, I can do better. And they would just, they would get divorced. <laughs> They'd be like, I don't have to stay with this guy. Right. Um, and that was, I think very common you know, when you, when I would read these firsthand diaries, the, the funniest ones were from the men because they could not understand, you know, these firsthand um, accounts with men writing about why their women are leaving them or the can't keep her or why is she always, you know, why is she always staying in town late? Why is she always walking down on the river? You know, like that I found fascinating because that was a theme throughout most of the diaries that I read from men that were with women. And it was like, a, it was like a hunger. It was like, what else could I have? What's the, what's the next thing? And that might be just the essence of California. I mean, if you look at the Silicon Valley, if you look at LA, it's kind of the same way today. Uh, I haven't been there, but I'll look at it that way. <laughs> the way uh, Elizabeth lies to her friend in Boston is a little disturbing, but understandable. I don't want to give it away. But yeah. how, much, how yeah. much fun did you have with her pen pal relationship? Oh, well, okay. So first of all, I want to say I am not a liar. So I, it was, it was really interesting for me. Well, okay. So I, at times maybe don't tell the whole story to my girlfriends or sort of like, oh, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm not sad. I had a fine day. You know, I try to make things better um, sometimes, but I don't lie to them. Right. And with um, the relationship between Elizabeth and her best friend, who's still on the East coast, uh, she, she does not tell the truth in the beginning with her letters. And to me, that was, um, born out of a desire to sort of not want to make her friend disappointed or ashamed. She was, my Elizabeth was embarrassed, you know, about how, what she thought things were going to be like when she came out here and what they really were. So I had a great time. I, it was a wonderful I, what's interesting is my, my narrative is in third person, but the letters are in first. So it illuminates a different side of Elizabeth, the side that left the East coast. Right. And, um, I really, I enjoyed writing in that very much. Yeah. It was fun to read too. Can you say more about women's friendships? They're very important in the novel. Yeah. Um, so when I was doing my research, that was, I don't want to say surprising, but I think it was surprising to me. It was surprising to me that women in early California sort of found each other and they write it. They have written about their friendships um, and their historical record of women's friendships that I really thought that that was an important aspect to bring out in my novel because it, that felt historically accurate to me. And I think it, it resonated with me too. Like when you're kind of struggling or you're trying to find your way, you definitely lean on your girlfriend. Right. And what I was, what I found in my research is that these women were sort of trying to help each other or working together, sharing information, trying to figure out like, okay, well, 
you know, what are you selling in town? What should I sell? Do we need, is there a laundress? Do we need to do laundry or maybe I should be doing something else? Or, you know, was there a gold strike yesterday? Like they were really trying to sort of, um, support each other, which I, I don't know if I found it surprising, but I was like, well, of course that makes sense. Right. There were so few women. It was, it was 20 to one. So it was 20 men for every one woman. And so when they found each other, they definitely were supportive in more cases than you would think. I was really happy about that. So it felt Mm. honest to me to put that narrative in prospects of a woman. Why does Elizabeth fall for Namasio? Right. Namasio, the sexy, the sexy Namasio. Um, To me, he, he embodied, he embodied California. And as she was falling in love with California, she was falling in love with him. He was, um, you know, very confident, very earthy, uh, even though, at, you know, the, the, the Californios, it was the beginning of the Californios losing their rights. Um, they were a very powerful culture. They were very um, family-oriented He was very loving and very um, passionate. It was everything she didn't have sort of in the button down East coast society that she left. It was, he, I think he embodied to her sort of opportunity and passion. And that was very attractive. Mm. Yeah, it was. I could, I could see that. Um, (laughs) Aside from Elizabeth, there are several incredibly strong women in the, in addition to Elizabeth. Right. Um, who amongst them was most significant to you or the most fun to write or the one you wanted to be friends with? Oh, that's such a great question. So what is interesting is most of the women in my novel are taken from real women in California. So I'll give you an example. So um, early on, she meets an African-American woman who's a baker in Coloma. And I name her Nandy Gooch and her real name is Nancy Gooch. And her story is that she comes to California uh, as a slave with her slave owner who brought her out to California from Missouri. And in 1850, when California came into the union as a free state, he was run out of town because California, the, the law of the land was essentially like, nobody can work for you. you. You can't have someone else dig for you. You have to dig yourself. So she was then out here in California with her husband. And they ended up, they, did, they weren't bakers. They, they did like domestic chores, like laundry, that sort of thing. And they started saving, saving, saving. They bought 80 acres of land right there in Coloma. And then she kept saving and she was able to purchase her son, Andrew was his real name. And um, his wife and they came out to Coloma and she ended up becoming the largest landowner in that area. Um, not just the largest woman landowner or African American landowner. She was one of the largest landowners on the American river and she's a real woman, right? So she's in my novel. Mm. Um, and most, all of them are (laughs) almost, I would say the only person that's not a real based on a real character is, uh, the woman at the, the, um, American woman at the very end, who's young. Um, she wasn't based on any real person, but all the other women in the novel are based on real people. 
now I want to read it again. Yeah. <laughs> Is there a, oh, Darren, I wish you had put um, like a list at the back so I would know who was yeah. real. I, oh. I think I do actually, actually, if you look, I think it's in the back. Ah. I do acknowledge that. I do acknowledge that in the, in in the, the back. acknowledgement. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I'm not specific. I don't, I don't like call each one out specifically, but there's, um, four women in particular that influenced, um, Elizabeth Parker. Um, and you know, so many uh, other of them, other of the women were real, like, um, Luenza Wilton, a caller in my book, she was actually Luenza Wilson. She really was in the town. She really was the mayoress. She had all the hogs they burned up in the fire. Like it was almost like as if the book wrote itself. You know, because mm. these women, these women, it, I didn't invent them, right? They were, um, there's so many extraordinary women that were doing incredible things in California. Once I started learning about them, it's almost like the book would just kind of came out. It was like, why are these stories not being told? You know, we're, we, we have been, I think it's been ingrained into the American collective consciousness that women in the West were washerwomen or prostitutes or song girls or whatever. And in California, that was not the case. There were many, many fewer prostitutes than women who were actually um, working, making a living, oftentimes separate from any father or husband. Wow. So I'm wondering um, what you're working on next. Oh, yeah. Um, You know, I am really fascinated with the women's artist salons in uh, California, 1920, there were many colonies, these artist colonies. And I'm, I'm doing a lot of research right now about what these women were up to and what these colonies and sort of salons were all about. And one of my characters um, in my novel is based on a photographer named Anne Brigman. She was one of these photographers in the 20s. And I don't know if you remember, but she goes into the wilderness and she takes all of her clothes off and she takes photos of herself. Yes. Oh, and <laughs> she actually did this. Um, if you look her up online, um, Anne Brigman is her name. And she gorgeous photographs where she, what's interesting is she actually, they're self portraits. So she would take all of her clothes off and like sort of position herself as part of the tree, that sort of thing. And she was in um, a salon down in Carmel so I'm very intrigued by that. And also in my husband's family, his grandmother was a painter and she was sort of a, a part of that group, uh, Dor- Dorothea Lang and, you know, so many of these other amazing painters and, um, you know, sculptors and so I'm, and photographers. So I'm very intrigued with that. And I'm, I'm we're going to see what pub- bubbles up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Well, that sounds wonderful. Let me know when you're done. I'm interested. Thank you, Thank Thank you, you so much. much for talking me, to me today, Wendy. It's been a pleasure and I wish you the best of luck on Prospects of a Woman. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me. Thank you. I, it was great. And thank you for joining me. Again, this is G.P. Gottlieb, author of the Whipped and Sipped Mystery series and host for New Books and Literature, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. Today, I've been talking with author Wendy Vorsenger, author of Prospects of a Woman. Hope you're all able to lose yourself in a good book today and tomorrow, too. Happy reading.